the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Timothy. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Some Bible commentaries say the number one on the list, lovers of themselves, is really the foundation for all the rest of these because if you love yourself too much if you have an inflated view of yourself rather than a sober view of yourself then you will also love money because you feel entitled you will also become boastful about yourself you will also be proud and you'll see the rest of the list too i think there's some validity to that observation that maybe lovers of themselves is really the root and the foundation of all the rest of these things Do you have an inflated view of yourself? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Gary, he explains to you that when you have an inflated view of yourself, it causes so many other problems. You can struggle with pride, envy, and extreme selfishness. Pastor Gary encourages you to examine your heart before the Lord. Ask the Lord to help you to rid anything that isn't honoring to Him and to live in a way that glorifies Him. Let the honor and the glory of God be your aim, not the glory of yourself. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 3 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. 2 Timothy chapter 3. So, Again, this is the final letter that Paul wrote before he is martyred for his faith. So these are kind of the dying counsels of, um, of Paul. Uh, though, again, your Bible is not in chronological order. This is, this is the last letter that he will write. And it is part of the group of epistles referred to as the pastoral epistles. Paul is, with a pastor's heart, writing to some young pastors, Timothy and Titus, and so First and Second Timothy and the book of Titus that follows are considered pastoral epistles. And Paul is going to give godly advice by inspiration of the Spirit about how pastors should conduct themselves and how the church should conduct itself and uh, how together we make up the body of Christ. And so he's going to come here to chapter 3. And if you have read ahead, you, you know as we closed chapter 2 last week, I said that in chapter 3, Paul basically prophesies, and he talks about the cultural climate of the world just prior to the second coming of Christ. And so what we're going to read here in chapter 3 are 19 uh, different characteristics of the culture that will be prevalent just prior to the second coming of Christ. What I find fascinating, I think you will too as we go through this, is that, you know, here Paul writes this 
around 67 AD, you know, here, here we are now, 21st century, and, and yet what we're about to read here is like he's, he's writing a, an editorial or a personal column in, in, the, in the New York Times. I mean, what he is explaining, I don't know, the New York Times would be in touch with, uh, with culture, so... Um, in the way we would. But anyway, use your imagination. He's like, he's writing a blog. How about that? He's just writing a blog today. And he's saying, you know, these are going to be some of the things because it's like we're reading our own news today as we look through this list. I think you'll notice that with me. So I want us to see here in chapter three, both not just a list of the, the cultural climate of the last days, but I also want us to look at this and, and not be detached because I think it's easy for us to look at this and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I see that in the culture around me. I see that in the culture around me. But, but are, are any of these elements in our own hearts? And if so, we need to, we need to purge those things in our own lives. Uh, because the, the list that he gives us here is not a positive list. This is a, this is a sad, sober list of the things that will mark the last days. That's how he starts here, verse 1. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Not a very cheerful beginning to chapter 3, but it is, as I said, a sober beginning. There will be terrible times. Some of your translations say perilous times. Uh, some translations say grievous. It is, a, it is a word in the Greek that can mean all of those things. Terrible, perilous, difficult, grievous. It's interesting to note that in, in classical Greek language, that word happens to be used to describe dangerous wild animals or the raging of the sea. So that's, that's kind of the figurative picture that we have of what he's describing here. Very, you know, uh, terrible, uh, ravenous, you know, raging. This is going to be very difficult and grievous times in the last days. Now, often when you see that phrase, the last days, he's speaking about, and the Bible speaks about, those things related to just prior to the second coming of Christ. And uh, in Matthew chapter 16, you don't need to turn there, but in Matthew 16, uh, in verse 3, it's kind of a gentle rebuke here, the Pharisees and Sadducees of his day, because he says, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, uh, but he says, you cannot interpret the signs of the times. So he challenges the religious leaders of his own day, and he says, you, you guys, you guys are, are able to understand, you know, Red in the morning, you know, take warning, red at night, sailor's delight, all that kind of thing. Like you can, you can look at the signs in the skies and realize the climate and the condition of the weather, but you can't recognize the climate and condition of your own day. And so Paul is leading us here into a description about some of the signs of the times here, some of the things that will mark the culture in the last days, just prior to the second coming of Christ. And so, again, we, we're going to see 19. I'm going to, some of these I'll add little commentary to. Some of them don't really need commentary. They're words that are self-explanatory. But let me read from verse 2 down through verse uh, 5, and then we'll come back and enumerate the list. This is what he says in verse 2. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, 
conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, and having a form of godliness but denying its power have nothing to do with them. Now, does any of that just seem a wee bit familiar to our own culture? So here he goes through this list, and again, it's 19 if you counted what I just read here, and I'll give you, you know, three or four at a time, the climate of the culture in the last days. Number one, he says here, people will be lovers of themselves. It is the Greek word philautos, from two Greek words, phileo, meaning to love, and autos, meaning self. So one of the things that Paul says here is, you get closer to the return of Christ, people will be more self-centered and narcissistic than ever. There will be a preoccupation with me. And, you know, I think that this is clearly a problem in our own culture. Now, look, don't read the opposite into this. This is not to say that we should hate ourselves, okay? He's not saying, you know, being lovers of yourselves, you know what you really need to be is haters of yourselves. He's not not saying the opposite by, by inference here. But neither should we have this inflated view of ourselves. So he's, he's not talking about, you know, that the best place as a Christian to be is if you just hate yourself. But he's also saying, but we shouldn't be inflated in our view of ourselves either. Now, Paul would say this in Romans twelve three. He says, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. In other words, we must see ourselves as we really are. That is to say, both the bad of what we are in the flesh and the redeemed of who we are in Christ. That's the sober judgment. And that's what he means here in Romans 12, 3 about in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. We should recognize if, if you're in Christ, that there's, there's the bad part of your flesh and there's the redeemed part of your life in Christ. So we have to have a sober view of ourselves. Don't overinflate. Don't be, be self-centered, narcissistic. You know, they, they used to say in the 70s, when I was young and growing up, they used to say in the 70s that the 70s was the me generation. Well, the me generation of the 70s has been eclipsed by the generation of today. Because if we thought that we were the me generation then, we don't hold a candle to the me generation now. Now we've become preoccupied with self. We love to broadcast self. We love to brag about self. We love to post pictures about ourselves. And so social media has now dominated a very self-centered culture. And I know it's dangerous. I don't want to. I don't want to use a broad brush and say all social media is wrong. It's not. I remember, you know, when back in the day when when TVs, you know, became popular in everybody's house, and that was the evil. And is there some evil on TVs? Sure. Is there some evil in social media? Sure. But th- there can be a good use of those things too. But then it can also contribute to and fuel this desire of an evil human heart to want to be seen and affirmed and noted. And and really, that's the root of most social platforms. It's wanting to broadcast self. I mean, it's not they-tube. It's you-tube. It's about you, right? And so, 
you know, people are wanting to promote themselves and broadcast selves, and, and, uh, and it just has, has become an indication of our culture being lovers of self. This obsession with self has led to not only an unhealthy preoccupation with self, but now, according to psychologists, the highest ever uh, diagnoses of people with NDP, narcissistic uh, MPD, narcissistic personality disorder. A couple of psychologists by the name of um, Dr. Jean uh, Twenge and, uh, and Dr. W. Keith Campbell wrote a book called The Narcissism Epidemic, and it explores the rise of narcissism in American culture and explains how this can lead to aggression, materialism, and shallow values. And just to give you a short excerpt from their book, I think it describes our culture. They said, quote, this is just in the introduction. We didn't have to look very hard to find it. It was everywhere. On a reality TV show, a girl planning her 16th birthday party wants a major road blocked off so a marching band can precede her grand entrance on a red carpet. A book has been published called, quote, My Beautiful Mommy, which explains plastic surgery to young children whose mothers are going under the knife for the trendy, quote, mommy makeover. It is now possible to hire fake paparazzi to follow you around, snapping your photographs when you go out at night. And you can even take home a faux celebrity magazine cover featuring the pictures. This is all just in the introduction to their book. A popular song declares with no apparent sarcasm, quote, I believe that the world should revolve around me, end quote. People buy expensive homes with loans far beyond their ability to pay, or at least they did until the mortgage market collapsed as a result. Babies wear bibs embroidered with, quote, supermodel or chick magnet, and they suck on bling pacifiers while their parents read modernized nursery rhymes from This Little Piggy Went to Prada. People strive to create a, quote, personal brand, also called self-branding, packaging themselves like a product to be sold. High school students pummel classmates and then seek attention for their violence by posting YouTube videos of the beatings. Although these seem, this is what the, the psychologists are writing in this book, although these seem like a random collection of current trends, all are rooted in a single underlying shift in the American psychology, the relentless rise of narcissism in our culture. Not only are there more narcissists than ever, but non-narcissistic people are seduced by the increasing emphasis on material wealth, physical appearance, celebrity worship, and attention-seeking, end quote. And, and on and on it goes. So, you know, clearly there have been you know, the statistics and studies bear this out, that more and more people are becoming lovers of themselves. What I find interesting is when I read through this list, I think, well, gee whiz, if this is becoming even more prevalent in our culture, I mean, just how imminent is the return of Christ? I mean, I don't know how much more self-centered our culture can get than it is right now. So, lovers of themselves. Number two on the list is lovers of money. It is the Greek word philagoros, again from two Greek words, phileo meaning to love and argoros meaning silver. People are living in a very materialistic, greedy culture as well today. 
Now, again, please bear in mind that Paul is not saying there's anything wrong with success or even being wealthy. He gives his warning about it in his first letter to Timothy, chapter 6, verse 10, where he said, for the love of money is a, a root, not the root, is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So he warned in the first letter about the, the problem that materialism can have and how people live for the almighty dollar. Uh, but he's not against or opposed to success or wealth. The Bible's not opposed to success or wealth. God enables people to be successful and wealthy so that they might use the resources and or the platform that he has given them for his glory. And, and so we need to appreciate the, the benevolent hand of God in our lives, but not to become greedy with it, covetous with it, hoarding it, but to be generous and to be a conduit of his generosity in our world. Interestingly, uh, USA Today published a, a survey conducted recently by the Pew Research Center that asked 18 to 25-year-olds in particular, what's your most important life goal? Now, a similar question was posed in 1967, and in 1967, when people were asked, you know, what's your most important life goal, 85% of 18 to 25-year-olds year olds in, in 1967 said that their most important life goal was, quote, to find a meaningful life. But today, according to this more recent study by USA Today, when they asked 18 to 25-year-olds, what's your most important life goal? 81% said to become rich. And the second most popular answer, 51%, was to become famous, which goes back to number one, lovers of themselves. Some Bible commentaries say the number one on the list, lovers of themselves, is really the foundation for all the rest of these. Because if you love yourself too much, if you have an inflated view of yourself rather than a sober view of yourself, then you will also love money because you feel entitled. You will also become boastful about yourself. You will also be proud. And you'll see the rest of the list too. I think there's some validity to that observation that maybe lovers of themselves is really the root and the foundation of all the rest of these things. So again, the rest of the list goes on there uh, to be boastful, to brag about oneself, to be proud. Uh, John Calvin once said that uh, pride is the pregnant mother of all sins. I think there's truth to that. A lot of what we do stems from just pride and arrogance in our own heart in terms of a lot of what we do sinfully. And, and so I think there's some truth to that. Going down the rest of the list that we read here in these verses, number five is abusive, Paul says. Now that doesn't mean that people go around beating up somebody, although certainly we see abuse in our world today, but the, the actual Greek word used here is blasphemos, which is where we get our English word to blaspheme. So what it really means is those who speak abusively about God. And again, if we've ever seen an assault on Christianity and on faith, it's in our day right now. We're seeing people speaking abusively about God, speaking uh, blasphemously about God, that's what he says is going to be one of the signs of the times here. Number six on the list is disobedient to parents. I mean, ever since there's been sin, there's been disobedience to parents. And so I don't know how you necessarily measure that, but I, I think just from my observation, this is just me speaking, I tend to see in our culture what seems to me to be more disrespect 
from uh, children towards their parents. If you allow disrespect, then there's going to be disobedience. And I think, to be quite honest, that parents need to shoulder the responsibility for that because I think far too often parents contribute to the disobedience and the disrespect of their children by never lovingly challenging them, by allowing them to just talk. I mean, I've been in public places and I've heard, I've heard kids, little kids, just talk in ways that my mouth would have been washed out with soap. But they, they're allowed to get by with it, or they're just ignored, or they're just dismissed. Like, oh, you know, every kid talks like, every kid doesn't talk like that. And, and if we're not teaching our children how to respect us as parents, when they grow up, they won't respect their boss, they won't respect their coach, they won't respect any other authority, they won't respect their commanding officer. They're not going to understand respect and obedience and submission unless they first learn it in the home. But it seems to be running rampant where kids are getting by with stuff, and, and being disobedient to parents is something Paul says it's going to happen more and more and more. Now, in the Roman culture in which Paul's writing here, you would be disowned in a Roman culture if you showed enough disobedience to your parents. Even worse, in a Jewish culture, in ancient times, we're talking Old Testament, right? You'd be killed, It was a capital offense. I gave you the verse there, Deuteronomy 21. I'll read it to you as a deterrent for anybody listening to this sermon (laughs) who was a child. I'm not advocating to the return to 3,000 years ago in terms of capital punishment. I'm not advocating it. Don't take a little clip of what I just said and post it on your little social media platform. Like, you know, Pastor G indicated he wants to... That's not what I'm saying. Don't take something out of... I'm, I'm just saying... You listen to Deuteronomy 21, 18 to 21. It's a strong deterrent. This is what it says. If a man is a stubborn and rebellious son who does not obey his father and mother and will not listen to them when they discipline him, his father and mother shall take hold of him and bring him to the elders at the gate of his town. And they shall say to the elders, this son of ours is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey us. He is a profligate and a drunkard. And then, so in other words, he's not six, right? He's a drunkard. And then all the men of his town shall stone him to death. You must purge the evil from among you, and all Israel will hear of it and be afraid. I bet they would. I mean, how many, uh, and the reference here is basically they're old enough, they're, they're mature enough to be responsible, they still just, how many, how many adult children does it take to be stoned to death before somebody gets the idea? We probably shouldn't do that. And so it's a strong, again, you know, look, I'm not advocating the return to capital punishment. Yeah, I remember in my school days, they moved away from corporal punishment. You know, it used to be, and, and those of you who grew up in going to Catholic schools, you have some bruised knuckles, don't you? Or other parts of your body. Because sister so-and-so would take a, a ruler across you somewhere. Okay, but, and so even growing up, I can remember coming into school and it was like the tail end of the corporal punishment years, like where they used to be able to spank you in school. So I don't, I don't remember it myself, but it was like the, the, the tail end of, and no pun intended, the tail end of corporal punishment. But, but we've gone from capital punishment. Okay, fine. I mean, that's Old Testament. You know, God rolls in grace now. Praise God, right? So that we've gone from capital punishment to corporal punishment to MC Hammer. Can't touch this. I mean, it, like nobody's going to be touched. You touch anybody now. We're talking lawsuits, social services. So, okay, all right, that's fair. But at some point, parents lovingly need to give some guidance in their homes 
uh, because the condition of our culture towards the return of Christ is going to be increased disobedience to parents. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. You've been listening to a teaching from a series in the book of 2 Timothy. In this letter from Paul to Timothy, the older missionary mentions how he has accomplished what he set out to do as a prisoner for Christ. There's contentment, even in uncertain and dire circumstances, that what he'd done to further Christ's message was enough. Paul wanted Timothy to hear these words to comfort and give Timothy a boldness to be able to proclaim the same message. Could you speak a similar message to those you're around? That what you've done for Christ would be pleasing to God? What would people say about your testimony at the end of your life? 2 Timothy is a great example of how Paul finished his life well according to God's standards. We encourage you to keep reading in 2 Timothy for more great insights from Paul to Timothy. If you missed any part of today's message or would like to explore other books of the Bible with Pastor Gary, visit cornerstoneconnection.cc today. You can listen online or you can download our mobile app to take these teachings on the go. Join us again next time for more in 2 Timothy, here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.